0: In this week's lesson, Brother Bobby Kilman preaches a lesson on John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, I am in poor voices uh, tonight, so forgive me for that. Uh, I will uh, do my best, though, to not act too much. And, and I will try not to get too close to Brother Lopez. Um, we were out with the um, uh, Theology Club last night, went to... Um, uh, donut shop and had a little talk and brother pedigo was there and he blessed me with his cold so i guess bear one another's burdens is what i don't know that's what that means but you know so i I, brother lopez gave me first shot and i felt terrible kind of because i took um john 1 1 through 18 and i'm going to shock you this is going to be very fast tonight uh, but i think this is a critical piece of understanding Uh, God, his will for our life, and uh, who we need to be as Christians. Okay, so uh, let me lay out a little work. The fun thing about this, I appreciate Brother Lopez's leadership, uh, because sometimes you just need to uh, skip the pizzazz and just dive into the Word. Because his words are life. All right, and they, they are sustenance. And if you want to be a strong Christian, uh, you will not be a strong Christian very long if you don't uh, get a, a daily habit of, of diving into the Word of God in some type of devotional way. Set, set some parameters, dig in, and the more you read, I remember as a young man, um, I'm like, what is all this? You know, I can't understand all this. And, and I would read, and then uh, my Bible uh, study teacher, when I was a young man, uh, Brother Claude White, would get up, and it seemed like Sister Troxel, he would just hit what I'd been reading. So it was fabulous. The Lord can do some amazing things, and his word will open up for you over time uh, if you will do diligence and plug yourself into it. All right, and it's good. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's good. All right, well, I I appreciate it very much. I'm going to dive in. Uh, There's four different types of gospels, right? Uh, Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he has a different perspective than every other writer. Uh, He wrote about Jesus as the coming king and the coming kingdom, right? Uh, and then you have uh, the Gospel of Mark, who Mark spends a lot of time speaking of Jesus as the Son of God, the theological Son who walked in covenant with God. And then you have the Gospel of Luke, who's the Son of Man. And uh, you, we could do some fun things with Daniel 7 there, but I'll resist the urge tonight. Uh, and then you have the Gospel of John, which is unique. Okay, so uh, it it discloses the God-man, you ready? And the mind, the word behind the incarnation. Now, by the time we get done, I hope you understand what that means. In Jesus' name, help me. (laughs) I pray for clarity. I don't always succeed, but I do pray for it. uh, And I want to communicate uh, clearly tonight. So let me say it another way. In, In Jesus, in the life and ministry of Jesus, the glory of God was perfectly disclosed. Jesus says later in the gospel, he said, as you sent me into the world, Father, so send I them into the world. I hope I can challenge you tonight to embrace who God wants you to be. I'm going to try to behave. It's terrible. I I, I don't think I can. After that testimony, good Lord, lady. Uh, What do you do? Right? So what's fascinating about the gospel of John, uh, Kevin, is um, he doesn't even start with the manger scene. There is no manger scene in John. He didn't talk about shepherds. He didn't talk about any of that. He's got a little bit of a discourse on John. And then what does he do? He doesn't go back to Bethlehem. He goes back much further. He goes back, you ready? Before there was anything. Or to say it another way, you ready? Before the beginning, uh, this is this, right? So what was before the beginning? And, and that's what John is going to disclose uh, for us uh, in this particular passage of Scripture. Let me give you uh, uh, some verses, uh, really quickly, some side verses. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, everybody say Him, say not the Trinity. You ready? Not even, not even uh, specifically God in this verse. You have to believe in the man Jesus. All right, we're going to talk about that uh, because it's about the only begotten of Son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All right, so we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be named called people in a little bit? And then 1 John 4.9 says, uh, in, this, uh, in this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. I wish I could go through... Uh, there are tons of scriptures like that. Uh, that This is eternal life. You are ready to believe in you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who now is sent. Now, what is all of these verses about? You ready? It's very simple. It's about... Uh, What God did, not as deity, and I know we're going to say some of the same stuff tonight. Turn your neighbor and say, it's a good old truth. I worry about preachers. Sometimes uh, they will tell me, they say, I got a new revelation. And Sister Trox. I'm like, I got an old revelation. So I'm going to behave. I'm going to try, Brother uh, Lopez. But when you look at these passages of Scripture, uh, it discloses. John is uh, talking about the glory of the incarnation. And so uh, when you look at John 1 and 1 John 1 and 1 Santander, it's in It's the same thing. In the beginning, and you know what it mirrors? It mirrors Genesis chapter 1. And so what God is saying is in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens of the earth. He spoke and the world was. Now in the new creation, God is going to speak the same type of thing. And it's going to be the new creation, the possibility of new life. And that's what uh, we find disclosed in this uh, beautiful little prologue uh, of John's gospel. So, um, what he's talking about is uh, the incarnation, but it's not some kind of impersonal, kind of analytical, put it under a microscope, put it in a theological class somewhere, Brother Santander, and talk about it in Christology. That's not what it's about. John said, yes, we know that there is only one God, and we know that that God was made flesh, but it's much more personal than that. What our hands have handled, what our eyes have seen... See, there's a revelation that comes when you understand who Jesus is. There's a relationship with God that comes that you can't get any other way. And when you have an encounter with this living word, this living God, who is life and light, it'll revolutionize everything. So that's what John uh, is trying to discuss. Now, I'm going to throw some stuff at you. Please forgive me. Uh, When you look at the the Greek word for word, logos, there's a, a man named Heraclitus. He was a Greek philosopher way before the New Testament. And uh, they're talking about uh, how does the world work. And so he came up with the term, the logos, the word in John 1, same word. He says uh, that it's the order of God's reasoning. Okay, and so the Stoics were walking around in Jesus' day, and they were asking these types of questions. What keeps order in creation? Why does everything uh, not fall into chaos? What frames the world? What keeps it all running? Or what, you ready? What is the power that sets the world in motion and then keeps it going? (laughs) All right, so they were asking these questions. And the fascinating thing is uh, they were winning their day in terms of philosophy, but there was a group of Jewish people, Old Testament people, Israelites, that at the same time had true revelation from God and was just walking in covenant, walking in revelation. I wish I could walk you into every philosophical class in the city of Indianapolis and you could see that despair, the end of their own thinking is just, it's bankrupt. It's into uh, non-answers. You know, embrace uh, your own ideas because there's no way to know truth. But we not only know what truth is, we know who truth is because we have a, re- a relationship with the God that stepped into time and said, I want to reveal to you who I am and what I want you to be. That's what John is oppressing. And he's setting up the rest of the gospel. I look forward to hearing it. Uh, uh, Let me give you another one. Philo. I know uh, Andrew loves Philo. Not really. Philo was actually terrible. But he did discuss some things. He said, the Logos is the thought of God stamped on the universe. He said, God, the pilot of the universe, held the Logos as a tiller and with it steered all things. Even man's mind was stamped with the Logos. He would say that may be what some would call the natural law. That comes much later, but uh, what's talked about in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And he said that the Logos is what gave humanity our reason and the power to think and the power to know. Because we're created in the image of God, he's a logical being, uh, they would say that that means reason. Now here's a uh, here's problem with all that. Now we can talk about it, we'll talk about it a little bit, how that all spilled into terrible things, Brother Herbst. You could do a much better job at this than me. You could talk about how Plotinus picked up Philo's arguments and, and messed up all these ideas and, and really come up with the Logos as a second person in the Trinity. But if you look at the Greek philosophers and you look at the Old Testament itself, they had no notion whatsoever as a person's word being separate from that individual. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, my word is a part of me. I know it's a big revelation. Now you know you're not two persons. All right, so this is uh, what happens. As man begins to try to wrap his mind around the revelation of God, you ready? Instead of saying, maybe there's revelation in this book all by itself, I, I need to start there. So uh, there is a Hebrew understanding of the Logos. Uh, this, it's the personification of an attribute of God. I wish we had time to bring in some wonderful feminists and have them talk to you, my, my feminist instructor. It would be great, it really would. You shook your head, I'm telling you, it would be awesome. <laughs> A little bit says no <laughs> all right what do i mean by that this is what they say if you have a literal eternal son and john 1 then when you get to psalm chapter 8 where wisdom is personified with god in the beginning you have an eternal daughter so what are they saying there ain't no eternal son unless there's an eternal daughter now that'll make people nervous Okay, the Greek word is pros. In the beginning was the word, the word was with, and it means facing. But again, uh, let's, let's look at some things uh, in terms of that. Uh, so when you see in Proverbs 8, wisdom personified with God, it's just normal Old Testament language. And here we go back to methodology, Santander. I don't think I can ever teach anymore without treating that. Instead of going to 2nd, 4th century philosophy and picking up ideas about an eternal son, they should have went back and looked at the normal Hebrew function and the way the language worked. Turn to your neighbor and say, which, which one are you going to trust? The question is, Is do you trust God's revelation or all this later philosophy that tried to pull people away from the understanding of God? I, I don't have time to do all this, but look at Jeremiah 47.6. It's personification. It's prospopia. Uh, in the Greek, we could talk about it, but I won't. Uh, it, uh, when you look at Jeremiah 47.6, he says the sword of the Lord uh, is there, and then he begins to speak to the sword of the Lord as if it's a person. How many persons are there? I know I'm doing a little apologetic work. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll dive in uh, deeper later. Habakkuk 2.11 says that the stones will cry out. You ready? It's personification. Uh, even Trinitarian writers like A. Uh, Birch, great great writer, he would say, lady wisdom is used this way too. Personification, not literal. Doth not wisdom cry in the street? She lifts up her voice. Okay, and you can't have uh, that uh, notion of God as an eternal son in John 1. Uh, We do this today as well. We say father time, mother nature, lady justice, right? And we personify a thought or an attribute. So this is uh, what's going on in this passage of of Scripture. I'm kind of a smart aleck a little bit. This is good confession. Pray for me. But F.F. Bruce, I was reading his uh, uh, commentary today, and I just wrote this down, put it in the notes just because it was hysterical. Uh, He's talking about pros, and he's talking about how that word is used in the entire biblical literature. And he says, when you understand the way it functions, uh, look at what he says. It is true in literary Greek, this is not a common sense uh, approach to pros. I was like, well, I'm not reading anything else you say because now you're going to try to say it's the eternal son. But you just said it's not the common sense. Okay. Again, trying to force something into the text. Now, that's not what's going on. This is what John is revealing in this gospel. He said his word was with God and he became that plan or that uh, that idea, that, that thing, that lamb slain from the foundation of the world in the beginning. Uh, I I, I'm, I don't know why I'm throwing so much Greek at you tonight. This is probably just for Brother Santander and Brother Herbst. Maybe David wants to take Greek. I'm sure he does. Process uh, with, toward or facing. But again, wisdom is with God, facing, right? So if you have an eternal son because of facing, then you got to have an eternal daughter. As a matter of fact, when you look at the language, I had a wonderful seminary professor who said, when you look at the language... Um, Genomize or all this language stuff. He says what happens is after John 1 it enters into a new condition. You ready? Okay, this is the question you should ask uh, according to the language. What was the logos before the change? Because whatever it was, it became something else. Okay, you ready? John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 tells us, we don't have to wonder, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, a full of grace and truth. So when did that happen? It's very simple. Paul gives you the, the time, Galatians 4.4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, made under the law. Why? Because it had to be uh, the Messiah. It had to be the man who would die in your place. All right, so uh, when we look at John 1, 2, it says this. The same was in the beginning with God. And verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, what does that mean? Again, this is not a literal person. It's not like God the Father said to the Son, go over there and make that. Because the Bible says the Father created what it means is with the sun in view. Uh, I know I've talked about this before, but let me, let me say it again, okay? God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He always does what's right. So way back before there was any creation made, God knew that we would fail. And so God's love and his mercy would not let him create you so that you would go eternally to hell because he is a God of love and mercy. He is not, you hear me today, he is not willing that any would perish. That's the heart of uh, of God disclosed in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul said we see it in the face of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he walked around doing what love does, healing the sick. God's love is manifested in his actions towards humanity. That's why when we pray, Brother Lopez, we just say that loving God, that powerful God can do anything. And because he loves me, I know I can trust him see, way back, way back in eternity, before he created, he had to make a plan for you and I to approach him. And you cannot come into the presence of a holy God on your own. You need to have some type of substitutionary sacrifice. And when God could not find anyone else, God said, I, my own arm will bring salvation. He will come. Why? Turn to your neighbor and say, he loves you. See, don't try to get this in a theological discussion today and we're going to prove Trinitarians wrong, and we are, of course. Uh, you know, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. He's got to be your Messiah. Okay, but why, why do we press so hard? Not for theological, necessarily, intellectual understanding, but for that heart knowledge. Because here's what, they they were not rejected because they didn't receive a knowledge of the truth. They were rejected because they didn't receive a love for the truth. And that means I have to be in relationship with God. Because Jesus says, Brother Brown was preaching in chapel uh, yesterday for us, and he said, uh, said it this way, that God will say to some at the last day, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I know you've done all this stuff. You've done all these amazing, powerful things. But guess what? You've done them in my name. You didn't even do them in the name of the Trinity. But depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You ready? I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. You didn't, you didn't understand who I am. You ready? You didn't get into that, that uh, deep relationship uh, with me so that's what John's talking about he says in John 1 4 in him was life and the life was the light of men now what does that mean it means in him was the true opportunity to live in the way that we should uh like Kevin said I think uh, a while back paradise regained it's where we get back what what we was intended to us in the garden uh, okay how many of you have ever sinned Aren't you glad he's a God of life that he can forgive and he can give you true life? When I've blown it, when I've done things I shouldn't do, I can approach a God of life who can say, you ready? I'm not just going to forgive you, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to participate in my glory. I'm going to give you the participate to be my representative of true humanity in the earth. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's my job. You ever been with somebody and you got those people they just always doing somebody else's work? Say, wait, wait, get out of here. That's my job, right? I open my wife's door. My son and I fight for it. (laughs) And you can open her door, but I'm probably gonna step in front of you, David, and say, I'm gonna, that's my job. You ready? And the same is true uh, with us. When we understand what God has called us to, to this new life, to be his representatives uh, in the earth. Uh, Now look at uh, what he does in John 1, uh, 6 and 7. I'm almost done. Turn to your neighbor, In shock and say, "My God!" (laughs) All right, John, one and six. It says there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So when you look at this, the rest catch it now because Sister Troxel, uh, the word Logos, the, the 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 word translated word. It's not mentioned again outside of John 1. Why is that? Because the word is on display. It's walking around literally in all of these gospel stories. And the notion of witness is throughout the rest of the gospel. He's created us. You ready to be a witness? And those that, and there's something he says, uh, he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light, and that which was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That means, literally, that new creation is available to everyone. What was broken in the fall, the dominion of sin. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to walk out of here intimidated at all if you know the heart of Jesus is to save. If you know that the heart of Jesus, the whole plan from the beginning of the world was salvation. And you can, with confidence, Brother Lopez, look somebody right in the eye and say, of course, God wants to do good things for you. He's a good God. I know he's a good God because I've experienced him. I didn't just read about him, but I've experienced I've walked with him. What my hands have handled, what my eyes have seen. Let me tell you about the goodness of the Lord. I didn't even know you were going to do a testimony tonight. When you begin to tell the goodness of God, what do you do to people? You witness to the true light. You witness to the possibility of living outside of the dominion of the broken age. So John says in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Now, what does that mean? It means uh, the world was made with Jesus in view and when he got here, some of them simply were not hungry enough to see. Ready? Some people are not hungry for God. Some people are not hungry for life. We're going to look at it in uh, just a moment. But look at, look at what uh, John says. He says... Uh, they, he was in the world, he was there That manifestation of God's glory was there And the world was made by him It was everything hinged on his creation You ready? And through him everything was made God was released because he could, he could release himself to create the world Because he knew he would make salvation possible But the world didn't know him I was in class, uh, I think it was today, Brother Santander And Emily Hilton, I love Emily On a scale of 1 to 10, extrovert, she's a 15. And and she thinks out loud, which is often hysterical. I love her to death. But she said to me, now, Brother Kilman, we're in Christology. She said, why is it so hard to see this? Why is it so hard to understand? And then she said, shouldn't it be easy? It should be easy for people to understand the Godhead. I said, where did you hear that from? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said to his disciples, they said, why do you speak to them in parables? You ready? And he said, it is not given unto them to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Why? Because they're not hungry. And God's, you ready? He told us not to cast our pearl before swine. People that don't really want to hear the truth. And Jesus said, if they don't receive your witness, shake your dust off your feet and walk on down. Why? Because some people are not hungry uh, to hear the truth. So John 1 11 says it this way. He came to his own and his own received him not. So John is talking about the incarnation, and then he sets the entire backdrop backdrop rather of Israel's history of rejecting God. He said, look at this. So many miracles done. So many uh, principles of God's word that has been proven true. The wisdom of revelation, the mighty acts of God to deliver them. If anyone should have seen, they should have seen. But the prophet Jeremiah says it this way. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt and to this day. And where's he at? He's Jeremiah, right? He's in the exile. He said, I have sent unto you my servants, the prophets, daily rising up uh, early and sending them. You ready? And he says, you've rejected them. Now, what does that mean? This is a precursor statement. John is setting the tone for the rest of the book. Because when Jesus is walking around healing everything under the sun, When he's feeding people with bread that just keeps multiplying and they're going to forcibly make him a king. Why is it that the most religious people of his day couldn't see it? Look at what John says. He says it this way. In the backdrop of this grim kind of historical look, he said, "Uh, let me me give you some more to say. He said, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. You ready? Because their deeds are evil. I, I hate to tell you, Uh, Some people don't get the truth because they're not interested. They love sin. But that's not the end of the story. God said, I'm going to divide the world in half. He said, there's some that don't get the truth. But as many as received him, to him gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, what does that mean? It's very simple. He said, there's the lost and there's the saved. And the issue is understanding the incarnation. Now, why is that the case? Because if you don't believe he's your Messiah and substitute, you're going to baptize wrong. Okay, now, I know uh, we're, we're getting a little tight. We're, it'll get to a good place. But you have to preach people lost before you can preach them saved. You have to believe. He didn't say, I am a way, if you don't mind, and you're not too offended. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You ready? No man comes into the Father, not the Trinity. No man comes into the Father, but by me, the man, Jesus. Now, what does that look like? I'll show you what it looks like. Jesus is dealing again with the Pharisees. And he's talking about a a parable. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost boy. And he tells a story about a son who goes, he squanders his living and as he's away, he comes to himself. He realizes the failure, the brokenness of sin. That's every one of us. I don't care if you were raised in church, you needed to be saved. And there he was in the pig pen. And he said, I know my father's heart. I know, I know, I know what's there. I know the goodness that's at my father's house. And even if I have to go back and be a servant, I'll, I'll just go back and be a servant because they have it better than my life here in sin. And so he goes back, and many of you have heard this before. But you know, there was a Jewish telling of that story. You see, Jesus puts a stinger in the tail of the prodigal son because the Jewish people, you ready? Uh, the Judea, uh, the, the uh, Sanhedrin, all the Pharisees standing around expected him to, go, to a different way, uh, go a different way. But instead, what Jesus said, instead of saying, uh, uh, say Sister Troxel came back and she's wasted all of her money, lost all of those resources to the Gentile pagans. You ready? And now all of that dominion through money. By the way, your money belongs to God, not you. You're a steward of his resources. You know what tithing is? It's a testimony that the 10 that I give now, the 90 is going to be serving God. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, that's true. (laughs) Now, don't panic. I'm taking a vacation, Brother Lopez, and that glorifies God but you know what that looks like? It looks like dominion uh, tied to that money was now being exercised, lost under the Gentiles, building up the pagan world. And what they would say is now you want to come back. Now that you've lost everything, now that you've lost all that your dad's given you, now you want to come back. And they would meet them at the gates and they would throw burned husk of corn. They would throw things at them and drive them out of, of the city and say, you will never be a part of Israel again. Why do you think the father was looking so long? Why do you think the father ran out to meet him? Because the heart of God was this. I came to be a savior. I didn't just come to be religious people. I actually came to seek and to save the lost. And see, that's what uh, God does. He said, I come to save. So the father is willing. See, that's what's being disclosed here in the incarnation, that God is willing uh, to pull us into relationship. So what does that look like in our life? Well, when you decide to do the will and the work of God, participate in the kingdom, it's not all a bed of roses, is it? So I'll give you a passage, Luke twenty-two thirty-five. 35. Jesus is being carried away to be crucified, and this is what he says. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now what does that mean? It means that we will face a struggle in principalities and powers. We will face spiritual battles, right? But God said, I refuse to let darkness have the last say, sin. I have come, and he said, I, I've shown in the world, and he said, the darkness comprehended it not. You ready? It couldn't stop it. That's why when you get to the book of Revelation, he says, whosoever will, you ready? Let him come. And what does that mean? It's the same language in Genesis where he says, let him come. You know, let there be light. Did he ask for hell's permission or darkness's permission? No, he commanded. And that word of Jesus, where the word of a king is, there is authority, right? And so when he speaks, all of hell has to listen. Now, I'm going to help you. You ready? I don't know what you're facing, but he's a good God. And if you're walking with him those that received him he gave them power to become the sons of God. What does that mean? You ready? Now you're the light of the world, Paul says. He said, "Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost?" That's why when Paul uh, or, or John rather says, "We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father." But right before that, he says, "And the word was made flesh." You ready? And dwelt among us. It's literally tabernacled. <laughs> you ready? It's no longer at the temple do you find the presence of God. It's in the person of Christ. Mm. And that's why he says, now that you're the son of God, you know what you are? You're the temple of God. And that means when you walk out of this city and you're a son of God, he's saying, Father, uh, you sent me into the world as a man to represent you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send them the same way. And you become the place, the possibility for God to shine through and tell people, there is a way that you can encounter God. That's your life. That's what John is disclosing in this uh, wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. He said, which were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And uh, is the will of God weak? <laughs> that means all of heaven is on my side to accomplish his task. And then he says, uh, we beheld, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, uh, Andrew, DePrimdem Nile says it's the most important passage in the entire Old Testament because it's about God making covenant with Moses. And this is what he says. He says, Lord, uh, show me your glory. Now, what is the glory of God? You ready? Uh, We need to look at it in context, not guess. It's not emotionalism. Okay, well, then what is the glory of God? You ready? Exodus 34, 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood by him there proclaiming the name of the Lord. And verse uh, 30, chapter 34, verse 6 says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now, what does he mean? Forgive me for throwing some more language at you tonight. The, the, the Hebrew word for goodness is chesed you ready it's covenantal faithfulness it's uh, his uh, abundant goodness you ready he loves you and see that's what's being said and truth in meath in the greek it's the same thing when you look at the end of jesus's life we beheld his glory, you ready? The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, charis, and truth, aletheia. That is the same Hebrew equivalent, you ready? This is what he's saying. That forgiveness, that restoration, is now available to you through the man Jesus. And that's the glory that you represent. So here's my question for you. Will you let your life glorify God? Will you let your life be a testimony of the goodness and the glory of God? You understand the role that he's given you in the world. The tremendous privilege to walk out of here and represent the opportunity for God's grace to be shown in somebody's life. This is terrible. Uh, Come to the music. I'm trying to stop this fountain of a nose. So, what are you saying, Brother Kilman? Well, it's very clear God is saying you're not an afterthought. You're my intention from the beginning of the world. And before I did anything else, I intended to be your savior. Okay, you ready? John bare witness of him and cried, this was he of whom I, I spake. He cometh after me and he's preferred before me because there's no man like this man. And of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. The Greek is literally wave after wave of grace. How many of you have been in church for a little while now? You can testify to the goodness of God. You ready? I can can tell somebody about wave after wave of God's grace that has worked in my life, in my family, in my church, in my organization. I just watched how God used a wonderful man of God, one of my mentors I love dearly, to handle an issue. God set it up perfectly and protected our organization wave after wave. You ready? Of grace. For the law was given by Moses. Yeah, he was good. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then the last verse see, you didn't think I could do it, did you? No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. Stay with me tonight. Nobody's seen him. The only begotten Son. Now, there's a, a terrible reading in the minority text. This is for extra for you who so you want to look at it. And it's because Gnostics didn't want to believe that Jesus didn't have flesh. So they say, monogenomai atheos instead of huios son. You cannot have an only begotten God. John 1 is the disclosure, sir, of the incarnation, what God did as man. You ready? He brought forgiveness, hope, and truth through Jesus Christ. There was a. A young man, a boy, who uh, got rebellious and uh, started off to his dad. His dad got in a physical fight. They got in a physical fight. and He ran away to the army and uh, was away for a few years. And his life just spiraled further and further out of control. And he uh, called one day. He wrote a letter, rather. He didn't call. He said, um, I, I would like to come home. And I know that I don't deserve to come home, and I know that i've I've horribly disrespected you and my mother. He said, "But if you would be okay that that oak tree that I claimed, climbed in and played with as a kid, would you just tie a handkerchief out there on one of the limbs, and I'll ride by. You don't even have to talk to me if you don't if you don't want me back, you don't have to even talk to me. I'll just keep on driving. So he got on a bus and made his way to his hometown and and as he got closer, he was telling the bus driver his story. He said, I'm not even sure why my father would want a relationship with me after what I've done. He said, but I, I, I want to try to go home. And as they got closer, he said, look, I, I'm too nervous. I can't even bear to look. I'm going to duck down. And if you look out, would you just please tell me what you see? As they turned the corner where his house was, the bus driver leaned back and said, son, it's going to be okay. There's an old gray-haired couple out of here, and that that oak tree is in full bloom with handkerchiefs. You see, the heart of God is displayed that he loves us and he wants to save. That's that's the power of this prologue. Everything Jesus came to do was to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what made the world? God's love. You know what will help you more than anything else in life? God's love. God's love. You need to say to yourself, he is for me. Have we all bummed around and made mistakes? Of course we have. But he is for me. Bow your head with me. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. God, we owe you everything. We don't deserve forgiveness. But you loved us enough to come and pursue us, God, to run out. Before anyone could condemn, you grabbed us. You pulled us close. You you took the robes of sin off and, and said, this is my son who was dead now is alive. He came to give you life. If you've never repented of your sin and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name and received this incredible gift of the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, God wants you to have that new life that comes through His death, burial, and resurrection. He came to give you life. I don't know what you're struggling with, what hell you're fighting. Yes, there may be crosses, and it may look like darkness. The the time, the hour of darkness. Brother Kilman, you don't know what I'm facing, what my family's facing. Okay, we just heard a testimony tonight about the faithfulness of God. We beheld His glory. What glory? He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He wants to save me. One more time, just slip up your hand your own way. Reach over, maybe just begin to pray with somebody. Sometimes we get so battle weary, we fall to hell so much, we just have to remind ourselves, He loves us. He loves us, He loves us, He loves us. And when we stumble, He loves us. When we make mistakes, He loves us. And He's come to save us. I don't have to doubt His heart. His heart was disclosed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen, 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 amen.